A number of times Jackie talked about a, a journey and she, she concluded her testimony by saying her journey is far from over. Uh, some of us are here today because you've, you've, gone, you've come on a journey. You've been away at university or college. You live far from your mom and dad and you got into a car or hopped on a plane or a Greyhound bus and, and you, you made a journey to get here at, at Christmas time. Uh, it kind of feels right, doesn't it, to go on a, to go on a journey at, at Christmas. I mean, some of our favorite contemporary Christmas stories involve journeys. Think about a poor Kate McAllister who arrives in Paris to discover that her son Kevin is back in Chicago. And, and so she barters and trades with, with other people in the airport. She's given her jewelry and a pocket translator. I mean, that's so 90s, isn't it? And, and she, she gets on a plane to Dallas and then ends up at the Wilkes Bar uh, International of Scranton uh, uh, Airport in, in Pennsylvania. And so she, she still has to continue on this journey. And then she travels in a U-Haul van with Gus Polinski, the polka king of the Midwest, all on a journey to, to be reunited with her son, Kevin. Or then there's Buddy the Elf, who living at the North Pole says goodbye to the stop motion polar bear and pelican, walrus, and narwhal that send him on his way. And then in his own words, I, I pass through the seven levels of the candy cane forest, through the sea of swirly, twirly gumdrops, and then I walked through the Lincoln Tunnel. We, we love stories about a Christmas journey. It, it just feels right to kind of be on the road, to be trying to make, going to see someone or find something at Christmas. I mean, even the story of Mary and Joseph, they make this pretty significant journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem on foot, and Mary's pregnant at the time. That's a very very significant journey, but today I want us to think about the journey made by the Magi, these travelers who come from the east to, uh, in, search of a, in search of a king, and their story is found in Matthew chapter 2. Let, let me read to you Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Notice in verse 1 that it says that this happened after Jesus was born. Uh, Christians uh, follow uh, several traditions around December 25th. There is Advent which is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. And we have Advent calendars and Advent um, uh, candles that, that we light in the celebration of Advent. But then after Christmas Day, there's, there's something called Christmas Tide. And it goes on for 12 days. You know, the 12 days of Christmas and a partridge and a pear tree. That's from December 25th to January 6th. That, that Shakespeare's Twelfth Night it is about Christmas tide. And, and it's all leading up to uh, that, that following Sunday, the, 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 uh, the day of Epiphany, which is the day that the Magi, where we remember the Magi coming to see Jesus. 
Now, I think because they wanted the nativity scene to, um, to be kind of balanced, they wanted there to be symmetry. So you got the shepherds on one side and, and, and the wise men on the other, but they didn't, they didn't come at the same time. Uh, it was months, maybe even years, uh, when, when the Magi arrived, but they came on this long journey, coming all the way from the east, and they say that they came because they've seen his star. I'd like to talk about their journey in, in three major movements or major steps, and here's the first one. It started with a sign. It started with the sign. The reason why they left where they were living somewhere in the east and came all the way to Bethlehem was because they saw something. They saw a star. And that piqued their curiosity. And, and so they started to look into things and, and decided that the way to find the answer was to, was to travel to Jerusalem. It started with a sign. Now these magi, they, they, they would have been people who watched the stars, kind of a combination of academic uh, astronomers and popular astrologers. That, that would have all been wrapped into, into one. And so they were watching the sky and they saw something they had never seen before. And that put them on this journey. Maybe you're here today and you're looking for a sign. You're at a crossroads in the journey of your life. And you're trying to decide what to do in, in this particular relationship or with regards to your, your career or a health decision that you need to, you need to make. And you're asking God, just, just please, just, just show me a sign. Some of you aren't, aren't asking God for a sign because you don't believe there's a God. And, and some of you have said, unless God shows me a sign then I'm not going to believe in him. Okay, so what kind of a sign are you looking for? And there's, you know, there's 7.8 billion of us here on the planet. And, and why is it that you need a personal sign? What about... What about the everyday signs that are, that are all around us? I mean, the Magi had this one star that was unique. That got them going. But how about the fact that there's all those other stars? Or that big star called the sun that we're hurtling around. If we were a little bit too close, we'd all burn to death. If we were a little too far away, we'd all freeze. I think that's a little bit of a sign. How about just life itself? The fact that we're living and breathing and that, that we have a, a sense of consciousness that we're able to think about meaning and, and, and purpose, I, I think that's a sign as well. In fact, King David, the guy who killed Goliath with a couple of stones, he was also, he wrote poetry, he wrote songs, and in one of his songs called Psalm 19, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God, that the stars above are a sign the Apostle Paul, writing in the New Testament, he's writing a letter to the church at Rome, and, and he said in Romans chapter 1 that God's eternal power and his invisible attributes are clearly seen in the things that have been made. There's no shortage of signs. Also, if you really think about your life and look back, maybe you've been living like seven or eight years, maybe you've been living 70 or 80 years, I'm sure if you look back, there are, some, there are some things that happen in your life that really can't just be explained as chance 
or random or a, or a coincidence. Jackie talked about connecting the dots a little bit. A, a certain decision that, that, that you made or that was made for you, that, that changed the trajectory of your life. A conversation, the, the beginning of a, of a relationship or, or a friendship. These are all signs that there's someone orchestrating things. There's someone who's, who's working in your life. Under the Christmas tree or arriving in the mail. That you're going to have a gift at some point open. And the gift is going to be wrapped. And, and no, none of you are going to say, well, the gift is it, it's just here. I don't know how it got here. There's no logical explanation for how it got here. The gift is just the gift. And you, no one just tears open a gift without recognizing that there must have been a giver. It's wrapped. Someone wrapped this present. It, someone made the gift or ordered the gift or purchased the gift. If there is a gift, there must be a gift giver. And, and aren't we always trying to teach our kids? Not just to tear open the gift and to start playing with it or, and then toss it away and move on to the next thing. No, we, we try to teach our kids that if you've been given a gift, find the giver. Find the giver and say thank you, right? And yet many of us are like immature little toddlers who have been given a gift. And it's been neatly, it's it's the gift of life and existence. And it's wrapped and someone has given it to us and we tear it open and we use it. And we don't recognize that that there is a giver. The gift of life, even in and of itself, is a, is a sign for us that there is a God. So it started with, with a sign. Now, why did, they, why did they think that they needed to go to Jerusalem? Why are they looking for the king of the Jews? Well, it says that they lived in the east. We don't know specifically where they were, but... At a dark period in the history of of the Jewish people, they were evicted out of the promised land and they were exiled. One group of people went to Assyria, another group of people went to Babylon. Both are towards the east. And they lived there for almost a century. And they they brought with them, I mean, they built houses, They, 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 they planted fields. And they practiced their religion as exiles. And they would have explained their customs and their scriptures to the people there. And and so the Jewish people have this incredible story where they have been rescued out of Egypt. And and they were given the promised land. And one of their enemies at one point hires this mercenary prophet religious leader guy. And they hire him to curse the people of Israel. And no matter how hard he tries to bring a curse on the Jewish people, every time he opens his mouth, he ends up speaking a blessing on them. And this is a, a thousand years before they were, they were exiled, roughly. And, and this is one of, the, one of the prophecies that he made. His name was Balaam. He said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star 
shall come out of Jacob. And a, and a scepter, that, that's what a king holds, will, will rise out of Israel. And so, so chances are that the, the story of this great Jewish king whose arrival was going to be signified by a star, that would have become part of the, part of the understanding of, of the intellectuals living in those eastern countries where Jewish people would have lived at one point. And so they decide to leave everything behind and to go on this journey to try to find this king. Trouble is, there already was a king. Verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard this, that's awkward. So they show up and they're like, we're looking for a king. And Herod's like, yeah, present, I'm already here. Says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Just a little bit about Herod. Uh, Herod is called king of the Jews. Herod was not a real king and he wasn't even Jewish. So, uh, Again, you follow the history of the people of, of Israel, the Jewish people, there's lots of ups and downs. And so in 63 BC, as the Roman Empire is taking over most of the known world, they also take over the Middle East and they take over Jerusalem. And Julius Caesar, probably heard of him, kind of a big deal. Julius Caesar appointed Herod's father to be the procurator of Judea, which comes from Judah. The procurator was like the premier of a province he didn't have a whole lot of authority. Everything ran out of Rome, but he was sort of placed there. He wasn't Jewish, but he was called the procurator. And you know the story of Julius Caesar, A2 Brute. He ends up getting, uh, getting assassinated, and Mark Antony takes over, and Mark Antony appoints Herod, the, the son of the first procurator. He makes him procurator, but almost, I, I don't know why he does this, he decides to call Herod the king of the Jews. Now, Herod was not a king, he's procurator. And Herod was not Jewish. He and his family were from Idumea to the south of Israel. And so Herod had this very troubling imposter syndrome. He was, he was very, very paranoid and he was terribly violent. You keep reading the story of Matthew chapter 2. You see how violent and evil of a king Herod was. Herod killed his own wife, some of his children, some of his, his brothers-in-law. All because he was so paranoid that someone was going to try to take his, his throne. That's why it says in the text that when Herod was, was troubled, the whole city was troubled. Just like in our family, in, in some of our family, if your brother gets upset, no one really, no one really, it doesn't really matter. If your sister's upset, if your dad's upset, but if mom is mad, whoa. The whole, the whole family is on like red alert, right? When Herod got mad, the whole city is troubled now. Because this guy has already killed multiple people within his own family. And now these strangers arrive saying that there's another king in town? 
This isn't looking good. So then Herod calls together the the scribes and the chief priests in verse 4. And he asked them, where will the Christ be born? It's interesting. He asks about the Christ. The wise men want to know about a king. But Herod's asking about the Christ. Well, Christ, or that's the Greek translation of the Jewish Messiah, to be a Messiah or a Christ, the word literally means to have oil poured all over you. And in in Jewish culture, in in the Old Testament, there were three leaders who, who get oil poured on them. Priests who are to minister in the temple, part of their ceremony of becoming a priest is have oil poured on them. Prophets, uh, when, when they are given the responsibility of speaking for God to the people or praying for the people, on, oil is poured on their head. And kings are also anointed or messiahs or Christ. They have oil poured on them. And the Jewish people were, were hoping for, waiting for, Not just a priest, not just a prophet, not just a king, but someone who was actually going to somehow fulfill all of those roles all at once. So notice when Herod asks, he's not asking about a Christ. It's the definite article. He says, the Christ. So he wants to know where the Christ is to be born. And notice how the chief priests... And the scribes, they don't say, well, let us, we've got to go do some research. We've got to figure out. We've got to check some maps. We've got to study. No, they knew the answer right away. Right away. It was on the tip of their tongue. This is not a hard question. They say Bethlehem. And this is, loved ones, this is what's going to happen to you. If you start to really think about signs in your life, if you start to really acknowledge that there may be someone who's orchestrating things in your life, after, after a time, you're going to find yourself looking at the scriptures. You're going to find yourself looking at, if you, if you are open to the idea that God exists, then you're going to need to look at his book. And so the, the journey goes from the sign to the scriptures. The sign to the scriptures. And so I encourage you, listen, if you don't believe in God, Take a close look at the signs around you. And I also encourage you to sit down with someone who who knows the Bible, who studied the Bible. Ask them questions about what the Bible says, about who God is, and about what it means to be. There's a lot of opinions, oh my goodness, a lot of crazy things people are saying about the Bible on social media. Don't listen to social media. Listen to someone, a real living and breathing human being who has actually studied the scriptures. And ask that, and read the scriptures yourself. The Bible is so accessible. We're in the book of Matthew right now. There's these four kind of biographies about Jesus in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick one of them and just start to read through it, you'll be surprised what you learn about Jesus and about God and, what about, and about what it means to be human. So these scribes, these Bible experts, they immediately know that the, the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. And they quote this from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler or shepherd in Israel. And then this isn't quoted in Matthew, but the next part of that verse says, whose coming forth is from of old, 
from ancient days. Now that might be referring to this idea that God's plan for this coming king has gone back from days of old, but origin from of old seems to be giving this hint that this king is actually going to be like pre-existent, going to be supernatural in some way. So they, they find themselves looking at the scriptures and the scripture gives them the answer that they're looking for. The story goes on in verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod is lying. Herod wants to kill the child and all the children in that area because he's an evil, wicked man. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and offered in gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the wise men follow the star. Notice how it says that the, the star rose <laughs> and then it rested over. The, so this is not just a, this wasn't some constellation or a comet, you know, one of those things that happens every 722 years. No, there's there something special about this star because it actually led them to the very house. Bethlehem was only like it's less than 10 kilometers from Jerusalem. The Magi are like, let's go. Herod, who's hostile, doesn't want to go because he thinks he's king. He doesn't want to bow the knee to anyone else. The other interesting thing is that the scribes and the chief priests don't go either. Almost like we're the religious types. And if it is the king, he's going to come to us anyway because like we're the ones who are in charge and he's going to be really happy to have us on, on his team. You see, some of us have this approach to God like Herod where we're hostile to him. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm the master of my own domain. I'm in charge. I'm not going to bow the knee to, to anyone. Okay, we'll, we'll see how that works out in the long run. Others of us, though, have this idea, if I believe in God and he must be so happy with me because I like... if. What I, you know, me and, my, me and my team went to a soup kitchen this week and I, I made a donation to a, to a, to a charity at, at Christmas time and tweeted about it so everyone could know. Some of us have this sort of like smug, apathetic approach to God. Of course, he'd be glad. I'm a good person. I don't need to go and search for him. He's, he's going to come looking for me because I'm one of the good guys. Or we're like Herod, where we, we, we don't want another king to exist. But the Magi go, they make the trip. Started with the sign, it led them to the scriptures, and then they find themselves face to face with the Savior. And that's where Jackie's journey led her. Was for her to see that Jesus died for her personally. That saved her Personally, these magi are going to have a personal encounter with the Savior. 
Verse 10 says, when they saw the star move in the way that they saw it, it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were filled with joy. We are filled with all of the things in this world that we expect to bring us joy, and yet we're not joyful. Our society is more affluent and more wealthy and more healthy and more safe than really any generation ever in human history. We, should, we, we have everything that we always thought should make people happy, and yet we are the most unhappy people ever. But these wise men rejoice with exceedingly great joy because they found something that, that money can't buy. They found something that they can't accomplish on their own efforts. They've found the true king. Verse 11 says, when they went into the house... Again, this happened after Jesus was born. They're not in the stable anymore. Mary and Joseph, you know, they found a place. They're paying rent. They're living in, in Bethlehem somewhere. They're in the house. But it says when they saw the child, they fell down and worshipped. Grown men, educated men, wealthy men. Saw a little child like, like this one. And got down on their knees and worshipped him. Because they had seen the sign, they had understood the script, they had understood the scriptures. They, they recognized that this can't just be a normal baby. This can't, yeah, sure, it's a king, but it can't just be a normal king. And whether they knew it or not, there are some clues in the gifts that they give. They give out of their wealth. Now, some people have this approach to Christianity where God's like a cosmic, you know, a vending machine where if you have enough faith or you, you give enough, you sow enough seeds, then God just gives you whatever you want. This sort of reversal idea that God exists to somehow give us treasures. That's not how it works, loved ones. The way it works is that God exists and that we give him our treasure, that everything belongs to him and that we fully submit to him. And so they give these treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So gold is like the, you know, the universal symbol for royalty. And so they're, in giving gold, they've already acknowledged that he's a king. But they also give frankincense. Frankincense is, is this resin that you scrape, like from the sap of a tree that you scrape off. And then frankincense is burned. Frank incense. And in, in the book of Leviticus, in the book of Exodus, in temple worship, in the worship of God, frankincense is burned. It created like this cloud, this mist. Even if you go to a Roman Catholic worship service, right? What, the, the guy's walking down the aisle with frankincense. Frankincense is a symbol of the presence of God. It's this burning smoke, this cloud. You can't quite fully define it. Get your, as soon as you try to grab onto it, you've, you've missed it. it it's, it's, it's mysterious. It's, it's a symbol for God. And then there's myrrh, which is also it's a, a resin from, 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 that you scrape off of a tree. But myrrh wasn't burned. Myrrh was mixed with other oils, think like essential oils. It was mixed with other oils and put on the skin. Uh, Esther put myrrh on, 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 on her body as perfume. The, the priests in the book of Exodus, when they're anointed, when they're being messiahed or Christed, 
they are, they are given myrrh that's poured on their bodies with other oil. You see what's happening here? Here is a king. And the one gift is that you're a king and you're like God. Frankincense, which is burned, which is out there in the air. And the, but the, we're also giving you myrrh. Because this God who is out there and beyond, he exists outside of space and, and time and matter. He created all of those things. We're also giving him myrrh, which is something you put on skin, on flesh and blood. And this is why Christians make such a big deal about Christmas. Why we make such a big deal about Jesus. It's because Jesus is what frankincense symbolizes. He's God. And Jesus is what myrrh symbolizes. He came in the flesh. That little baby, Mary, did you know? That little baby is God in flesh. And, and that little baby was born for you and I. And he was born for you and I. And he was, he was born to die for us. His whole life was a mission. He was, he was God and God in flesh. So he lived perfectly. All he did was love and give and share and teach and help and heal. And he was the perfect gift from God. And what did the people do with the perfect gift from God? They tore it open. And they tore into him and they nailed him to a cross. But God again was orchestrating all of these events because when Jesus suffered and died on the cross... When humankind did to Jesus what Herod wanted to do to Jesus. Something was happening in that moment. That Jesus was taking the punishment that, that I deserve and that you deserve, that, we, that the Magi deserved. That all of us deserve for our sin. Earlier in Matthew chapter 1, when the angel's explaining about the virgin birth and, and uh, uh, about what to name Jesus... He says, Jesus, call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Sin is, is, is us saying things, thinking things, doing things that are, that are contrary to God's good plan and purpose for our lives. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the Magi here are there in, 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 in front of the Savior. And they give gold and they give frankincense and they give myrrh. Now, myrrh shows up one more time in the New Testament. Remember, myrrh is like a perfume that you put on your body. And part of the embalming process, when, when, when you buried people in the Middle East, it's a hot climate, you can't dig very deep. And so you go to great trouble to, to preserve the body using perfume. And when two kind of closet followers of Jesus, after he died on the cross paying the penalty for sin, as they're getting ready to lay him in a tomb, in John chapter 19 says that they took myrrh and put it on his body. Myrrh which was there at his birth, myrrh is there at his death. This child came to die. And listen, you, you might have thought today, you were just, you know, I'm just, I'm just coming to church. I came to church to make my mom happy, to make my neighbor happy, to make my friend happy. I'm, I'm coming to church to get someone off my back. Listen, you haven't come to church to get someone off your back. You've come to church to get someone in your heart. Because Jesus came 
to save you. You think about these magi. They think, oh, we traveled so far. We traveled all the way from the east to see this child. Not recognizing that even though they traveled all the way from the east, this child traveled all the way from heaven down to earth. And, and these magi thought, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're giving all of these costly gifts. What a sacrifice. You know how much frankincense costs on the market? Do you know what I had to pay for this myrrh? Of course, the gold is costly. Everyone knows that. They thought, what a great sacrifice. What a gift. We're giving these gifts, not realizing that this, this child was going to give his life for our sin. Little did they know, and little did you know, that these kings came seeking, or sorry, these, they're called kings. These magi came seeking a great king, all the, not, all the while not realizing that this great king had come seeking them. Loved ones, you might be on a journey. I encourage you, start connecting the dots. Think about the signs. Think about the scripture. Take a look at Jesus. Because whatever journey you might think you are on, God has been leading you and steering you to this moment for you to make a decision. Are you going to continue to live for yourself? Are you going to continue to try to find satisfaction and joy in material things? Or are you going to recognize that there is a plan and a purpose that is beyond anything that you can imagine and that there is a God who loves you beyond all that you can imagine? He knows all about your sin. He knows all about all the things that people don't know about, the things that happen between closed doors, the thing that happens in your, uh, things that happen in your mind that no one can hear or see. God knows all of those things and he still loves you and he still wants you and he has come to seek you. And you can make that decision today. By acknowledging a frankincense that Jesus is God. By acknowledging the myrrh that Jesus came in the flesh. By acknowledging the gold that he is the king. And believing that he died on the cross as, to pay the substitute, to pay the penalty that you deserve for your sin. That I deserve for my sin. And love what I'm telling you. You might think it's going to be this long journey to try to, all the other religions talk about this long journey and in the end you find God. Christianity is not like this. The journey is like one step and it's, it's, it's the turning from walking away from God to toward God. And God's not up a mountain saying, come on, keep trying, keep trying. No, as soon as you turn, he runs to you because he came to seek and to save the lost. Will you turn today? He will meet you right here today. He will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit that will live inside of you. He will give you the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. You might not have come seeking Jesus today, but he's come seeking you. Will you stop running from him and will you turn towards him? Let's bow our heads together and pray. King Jesus, we recognize that you are God and that you are God in the flesh. We recognize that you came in the flesh. You came as a human being so that you could pay for human sin. 
You came to pay for my sin. You came to pay for the Magi's sin. You came to pay for everyone's sin. And God, I pray that we would, we would not refuse this invitation, but that we would come to you and that we would receive the forgiveness and the cleansing and the hope and the joy that only you can bring. Lord, we pray that you would do it. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would cause people to awaken, to open their eyes, to see the beauty of the Savior and that they would believe in you and trust in you and like the Magi, that they would bow down and worship you. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.